Hi, I'm George Techmanchov, and we're back with the Easton Target Archery Podcast and some good news in tough times. I've got Rob Coffold on the line, and Rob, you've got some great news, which is that the 2021 Lancaster Classic is on again. That's right. Uh, after a lot of uh, painful consideration and going in many different directions, uh, we we decided we're going to we are going to do whatever it takes to uh, hold a safe uh, and, and slightly reduced in size classic. Uh, yeah, and we'll get year. into the we'll get into the details of all of that coming up. But um, it's going to be on the normal weekend, I guess, of uh, January twenty first through the twenty fourth. And um, yes, it'll be Thursday, Thursday through Sunday. So it looks like you're opening registration uh, early in November. Yes, Monday night, November ninth. And so uh, social media for Lancaster Archery will have links to all of that sort of thing. And um, I understand that um, there's going to be a, a number of changes that are a result of the current situation. But um, maybe we can talk about some of those things. But first, I'd like to talk a little bit about the history of the event. This is, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm thinking 16 or 17 years now? It's our 17th year. And uh, we started in just in the ranges in the shop. Um, and the way it started, uh, we had just expanded and I felt like we finally had some place that was worth, worthy of showing off, um, and inviting people to. And so, uh, I saved for, for about a year and, uh, put $5,000 aside and I offered a $5,000 guaranteed first prize, um, you know, for just one division, uh, an open pro division, man, woman, regardless of age, uh, 5,000 bucks first prize, and then uh, 80% payback uh, based on participation below that. And I called uh, some friends of mine who are pros, and we had Rio Wild and a whole bunch of other guys that showed up and had a great time, and it, it grew from there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when you consider the modest roots of, of where it started, for it to be where it is today, as one of the premier events in the U.S., um, is is a huge accomplishment on your part and on the part of all your staff. I think the other thing to consider is it's really, if you look at the scale, uh, since Atlantic City and since before that Cobo Hall, it's the biggest event in the East in uh, 50 years from the standpoint of uh, participation. And while this year will be a little bit diminished in terms of total participation because of all the um, regulations, it's still going to be by far uh, the largest independent event. And when I say independent, you know, outside of the uh, NFAA and what the USA Archery Federation is doing, I think you're looking at uh, a huge accomplishment for a private organization. Well, uh, thank you. It, it started and it remains. I mean, it's, it's our way of thanking the archery community. Um, you know, all of our customers, all of our dealers, the manufacturers, um, thanking the archery community for uh, their support over the years. And uh, just wanted to throw a big archery party and have a good time. Uh, last year, we had 2,150. And uh, this year, with the, the uh, social distancing, we're going to be down to 1,350. 
would be capacity this year. Yeah, the social distancing means that you're leaving an empty lane between archers, and also I believe it's something on the order of two archers per target. Is that the way that's going to work? That's correct. Yeah, we're doing everything we can to be sure that absolutely nobody, you know, catches COVID, um, you know, at, at our event. I mean, don't we want our employees to be safe? We want our, uh, you know, uh, manufacturers come to, to support the event to be safe. And of course, every participant and, uh, and spectator and family member. So we're doing everything we can from, uh, you know, buying very good masks to get away, hand sanitizers on a, a clip for your quiver or your belt, and, um, you know, insisting on social distancing and, and those precautions. I mean, we, we're going to ask the archery community to help us to make sure that it is a safe event. Yeah, and in fact, if you look at the, um, if you look at what World Archery is doing at events, you're actually going a bit beyond those uh, regulations from the standpoint of what you need to do to conform with what's happening in Pennsylvania and everything else as we speak. Hopefully it'll get a lot better by the time the actual event takes place. But um, you've got mask wearing for officials, staff, spectators, and archers when they're not on the line shooting or eating and drinking. You've got plexiglass shields that you're going to put up. Uh, you're going to increase official practice because you're going to eliminate the practice ranges to avoid congestion, right? Yes and uh, the bow check area, that kind of thing. The um, sponsor and vendor area, that'll continue, I gather. Yes, we uh, we feel as though that's an important uh, part of the Classic, is especially with the ATH being canceled this year. This will give uh, manufacturers a chance to meet face-to-face with, you know, literally thousands of archers and, and archery families to uh, show off their new product for 2021. Sure, and I think a lot of people will be eager to uh, to get to see that, not just archers, but perhaps dealers as well, as you alluded to. The ATA show has been canceled for 2021, um, and so shows like yours and perhaps the Vegas shoot will be the best way for people to see new things for 2021. Yeah, we're certainly looking forward to that, and... Uh, Cam Media, uh, our, our video and media company, will be doing a lot of video reviews and productions uh, as classic. Yeah, and in fact, you're planning to do your, your normal broadcast on Saturday afternoon, the uh, 23rd through Sunday, the 24th, uh, for the finals live. And I think that that has become quite popular. It, it, it absolutely grabs everybody's attention. And I think now... From last year's classic, or I should say this year, January of 2020 uh, to now, in October, we're over a million views of our uh, classic uh, shoot-up finals. And um, in, let me think, since 2016, we are at 14 million views, I believe. We're over 14 million views. That's got to be one of the more popular viewed events. And I think one thing that makes it special is the drama of the Barebows. <laughs> I keep hearing about that. People, yeah, people our, keep certainly our, yeah, one of our most popular uh, events every year is the Barebow Finals because it's, it's predictable. And uh, the, the crowd, the Barebow crowd is a lot of fun. They're rowdy. Uh, they're raucous. They'll, they'll, uh, 
they'll ooh on a on a, a poor shot and they'll they'll high five and and they'll clap like crazy on a you know on a pinwheel on an 11 and uh, so it's a lot of fun i mean that that uh, the group of archers does it right as far as uh, enjoying everybody's successes yeah I, I think that if you want to look at a group of people having fun it's uh it is that crowd isn't it sure is i wish that were everywhere you know sometimes it i think we're too respectful too quiet too reserved you know in in the crowds uh watching as spectators well you know us recurve shooters we take ourselves awfully seriously yeah, well, I think that's part of Brady's popularity is the fact that he shows emotion, he shows enthusiasm, he, you know, people can see the intensity and how much he cares. Yeah, you're absolutely and, correct. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's interesting. That, I, I remember 15 years ago or so when Braden Galantine would be very expressive at World Cup events, and he got some he got some flack for that, but now... It's expected, and in fact, it is appreciated. And you know, you may say Braden was a little ahead of his time, but he didn't do anything uh, incorrect or improper. He just was himself, and now people are starting to appreciate that a lot more. I think that has been a, a gradual change. You know, just like playing music at events uh, back in the in the early '90s when that began, people were outraged, and now people are like, "Where's the music if there isn't any?" So you know, it's it's. Uh, not a fast changing culture, but it is one that has changed. Yeah. Yeah. We're, you know, the, the whole goal of the classic again is to thank the archery community. And part of that is helping to grow the sport. And that's why we put all the energy into the cam media broadcasts of uh, the ASA events and of the classic for years, many years now. We have a, a big announcement coming on Monday from cam media um and so you know you want to stay tuned to lancaster archery and cam media social media on uh, monday of next week we have a, a major announcement for on behalf of the sport that is is going to be a big deal okay well, we'll look forward to hearing about that and um we will definitely stay on top of the developments with what's happening in lancaster um one positive aspect, of course, is that, you know, with the tournament having gotten as big as it is, uh, you're in a big venue, and that really helps with the specific things that you need to do in this particular time. Yes, uh, we, we were able to expand spaces, and uh, the, the downside is, of course, more space is more money to rent in that big facility, and we have you know, just a little over half the number of participants. So, um, you know, we've had to adjust the payouts, the cash payouts a little bit. Um, I'm hoping that the, uh, and, and the indications are that the door prizes will be at least as, as big as they have grown to be. And it's, it's incredible. The, the number of bows and expensive sites, scopes, stabilizer setups, um, you know, arrows that we're able to give away. I mean, tens of thousands upon tens of thousands of dollars worth of uh, door prizes. And, uh, you know, people love it. And it, it's, you know, your chances are very good of coming away with a great door prize. Well, I don't want to say this because I'm, I'm not in a position to um, be one of the people affected these days. But I think I would say 
that even if you didn't have any kind of cash prize for this event, that people would still turn up and still compete just because people are so eager to get out there and shoot and socialize and be able to see each other. Yeah, it's going to be limited compared to what we're used to in terms of socialization and, and seeing folks uh, as much as uh, we would like. But the, the eagerness that I sense from people in our community to go to a tournament like the one you're going to put on pretty well will take care of making up for any adjustments you have to make uh, to the, uh, you know, the prize package as it goes. Yeah, I mean, it's still, it, it's still $15,000. Well, yeah. The first prize it, in the, that's, the a lot, that's a lot more than and most tournaments. $6,000 $6, in Olympic recurve and barebow. Yeah. Um, you know, along that, we, we fully expect to sell out. Uh, so I recommend that uh, everyone register as early as they possibly can uh, after November 9th when registration opens. Um We'll we'll fill Friday up first. I'm sure that Friday's qualification rounds will fill up first, and the people that register later um, would probably have to shoot on Thursday. So that uh, just a heads up to register as early as you as you can. Sure, makes uh, makes perfect sense. Hey Rob, I'm going to shift gears on you for a second. I'm going to mention two numbers: two ninety one, two ninety nine, and a third number: twenty five meters. How about that Casey Coffold? What a daughter, huh? Yeah, that was, uh, she was very disappointed in that first, uh, that first half. She shot that indoor 25 meter round outdoors, um, you know, because of social distancing, because of the COVID, uh, we held, we, we rolled the dice and we held a, an indoor format tournament outdoors. We had an absolutely beautiful day uh, in early October. Um, nice temperatures, very little, very little wind, and um, she she missed her last arrow by one millimeter. Yeah, I, I saw the scorecard. Uh, it is a clean scorecard for the second half, twenty-five meters. And let me just mention up front: um, new world record score, new world record level score for five ninety, and. X1010, XXX, XX10, XX10, X1010, XX10, X1010, XX10, X1010, 1010, and a 9. Unbelievable. Just a tremendous performance from one of the harder working shooters on the American team right now. Well, thank you, George. She certainly works hard, and uh, it's unbelievable the de dedication that she has. Um, she just loves to shoot and uh, can't get enough of it. I mean, well, uh, yeah, we've in talked, her life. We, we've yeah, talked we've, about this before. You know, you've had to you've had to kind of <laughs> hold her back a little bit here and there. Yeah, a couple of uh, winters ago during the the uh, holiday school break over Christmas, um, she was getting to the point where she's shooting every day and hours and hours and hours every day. And she was, she was getting up to eight, 900 arrows a day. And, uh, uh, we, and she started to complain that her fingers were starting to hurt. And, uh, we, we looked at her, her journal and looked at her arrow count and, you know, we had to, uh, slow it down a little bit, you know, tamp it down to no more than 500 a day. 
Well, looking at this thing from a certain point of view right now, Casey is by far, um, I would say, and, and not to take anything away from anyone else, the highest achieving American archer in the last 20 years on the women's side of the field. And um, I, I don't think I'm overstating things when I say that. I, I think the last time we had somebody with that much potential was perhaps Denise Parker. Uh, of course, there are many other great shooters. Um, you know, Mackenzie's a great shooter. There are many other great women shooting for the U.S. right now. But Casey is something special. And I know that she is continuing to work hard with her eye toward Tokyo for next year. Can you share with us um, where her head is at and, and what kind of preparation um, the Coffold family is doing in anticipation of you know, having an Olympic trials and, and finally getting that process done and, and, you know, having that goal for Tokyo. Well, she's um, taking advantage of there not being an indoor world series. Um, in the past, we've taken advantage of that to give her international experience. Um, she's benefited greatly from that indoor world series that she's been able to shoot against the Koreans and the Germans and uh, the Japanese and all the best archers from around the world, even if it's in an indoor format, to be comfortable shooting against and, and competing with and and uh, and beating you know many of those archers. Yeah, she did. And su so, she did uh, a supreme job during that season, and I think that that was a tremendous, uh, perhaps a bit tiring, but a tremendous effort to get to all those events. It was tiring for her dad, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, she loved it. She loved the travel. She loves meeting people from around the world. And she's gotten to be very good friends with a lot of the, the best archers in the world and um, really looks forward again outdoors. Um, right now, her preparation for next summer, uh, Tokyo, um, the games, and the trials and whatnot. Um, she's shooting a lot outdoors. We've got a shooting shed built that uh, allows her to shoot inside the shed through windows into the outdoors. It's quite cold and snowy here over the winter. And uh, that allows her to shoot, put a jacket on, go get her arrows, come back and, and you know stay shooting in the warm. But um, she's also worked very hard on her mental game. We spent uh, three or four days down at Lanny Basham and Troy Basham's at Mental Management in Dallas. Uh, we did that in, in September. And I, I can't uh, sing their praises enough as far as the, uh, the attention that they gave her and the plan uh, that, that they gave her. And she's been working very hard on implementing that into her shop process. And um, it makes a huge difference. She, uh, she wants to make a, a lifetime of this as a professional Olympic recurve archer. And, uh, you know, we're here to support her in that, of course. Well, that's, that's very clear. And, of course, uh, following in Dad's footsteps, you know, I think that is, um, that's all you could ask for, you know. Not to mention um, schoolwork and everything else. She's got a very balanced and, and, uh, and, and very good um, you know, it's, it's not like she's just an archer, right? She's getting, she's getting everything done. Yeah. We're down here hunting today. So she, she also bow hunts and, uh, you know, enjoys a variety of other 
other activities. She loves to sew. She loves fashion design. She, uh, yeah, she definitely has an artistic side. Yeah, well-rounded person, I think, would be the way to put it. Um, you know, some of us in our sport, we've been a little, a little too much on the, yeah, I got to practice, I got to practice, and maybe, you, you know, don't pay attention to schoolwork or don't pay attention to other aspects of your life. This is a balanced approach, and I think it's one that's much better for the long term. Well, thank you. Yeah, we're we're enjoying this. Life is good. Um, you know, COVID gave us a lot of time as a family together. And uh, Connor's our son Connor's down at Texas A and M shooting on the team down there, and um, he's rooting with Alex Gilliam and Trenton Cole, both uh, both Olympic recurve archers. Um, so he's having a great time down there, and it all involves archery every day. Yeah, another tremendous environment for uh, for archery down at Texas A&M, particularly if you like shooting in the wind. <laughs> well, Rob, I want to thank you for taking all this time out of your uh, out of your hunt with your daughter to uh, join us here on the podcast. And again, congratulations to Casey for that great new world record at at twenty five meters. It might be the first uh, score of that. Uh, I can think of that uh, Petra Erickson, you know, back in the uh, late 80s and early 90s was uh, consistently setting the 25 meter record with both compound and recurve. Um, might have some fun talking to you some other time about whether Casey ever wants to pick up a compound bow, but uh, certainly um, these numbers are very impressive. And again, congratulations to uh, both you and Carol for um, helping create one of the best archers in America today. Well, thank you, George. Uh, you and I go way back into the, the early 80s, and uh, it's great talking to you today. We'll just talk into the microphone. We can do that. Well, that was, uh, that was a great talk with Rob earlier today, Steve, and I think that uh, as things go forward, Casey is just going to continue that focus that gave her that world record recently. She's got a nice drive that, we, you know, we haven't always had uh, that in the women's recurve side here in the u.s we've had women with drive but she's got drive and she's got some talent so those two things put together can give you something yeah there's lots of archers who have drive but they're grinders you know they have to work at it yeah and and casey certainly works at it but there's also lots of archers with talent that don't have the drive to use it uh, necessarily to the to the full limits of their capabilities and we've seen a lot of that particularly on the women's side in the past and i think this time you know, um, as as things move forward, um, I think she's going to continue to leave her mark on things. Most importantly, I think she she got some competitiveness from her dad, you know, and maybe her mom. I don't know, but uh, for her, sure, her dad's got that side to him, and and uh, that's the thing that most people in archery are missing. They they go and they go, oh, I'm going to work hard, and you know, they might or they might be kind of talented, but then they they get to where it matters, and they just don't have that competitive fire and or they're not accustomed to being in a competitive situation and, you know, they kind of falter or shy away from it. And um, honestly, I think that's one of the things that really helped me. I don't know that I'm the hardest working guy or the most talented guy, but I'm, I would say I've been in more competitive situations than anybody in, in this game. And stuff they've a, never touched. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I think just to refresh people's memories on this subject, you played college basketball at a very high level. You've done a lot of other stuff. And, you know, that competitive mindset is a very useful tool. Very. And, you know, I've applied my archery competition stuff to 
other types of competition, pistol and a few other things I've done. And, and that has served me well. The mental game mm-hmm. that you get. But, you know, I, I think it, I, the important thing that Rob shared with us was that she just spent a week with uh, Lanny Basham and Troy Basham. And I think that if, if there's anything that any archer can use, it's that mental game training. And, um, you know, the Bashams have a good 40-year, pushing 50-year history of um, helping archers and athletes in general up their game mentally. It seems to me that uh, that's an important step that she took going down there for a week and working with the Bashams on that. Yeah, and that works for some people. I think for some others, I think it's counterproductive. I'm going to be honest with you. No, I, that's why we're talking. Yeah, I yeah. think uh, I think some people, they trick themselves into making it bigger than it actually is, right? And they go, oh, i got to be this and that and blah, blah, blah. Do you mean the event or the, the competition structure? Yeah. yeah, I mean, they they, uh, they go, oh, this is, you know, what I have to be. I have to have a strong mental game. And really, it's just you just got to go and be you and enjoy yourself in the moment. You I, know? I think there's a great deal to be said. I read, I'm gonna be, I read the Lenny Basham stuff, and I put it down. I said, this is not for me. Not for me. No, because so, your personality doesn't need yep. necessarily to have that um, kind of a structure. No, some people might need that. Uh, I think a lot of mental people do. cue or something like that. But I, you know, it just wasn't. I read it and I'm like, well, yeah, I I get that. You know, I just uh, I think when you go and place such great importance on something, you're almost you're putting it on the pedestal, right? When you put it on the pedestal, it can be worse. So it just depends. There's. But I'm sure it's a whole lot different when you're working with them firsthand versus, you know, getting it, uh, reading it from, from the book, book which was, which is good. Or even were, you know, the worst case scenario is like having some Joe Schmo at league night tell you about what you got to do so that you don't get nervous at Vegas. Yeah. 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 That you does. know, <laughs> it's like, that was my, uh, introduction. There was a guy in my, in my, uh, club who's trying to tell us all this crazy stuff and like this is what you got to do for your mental game and this is you know the mental game is so important that I'm like, finally I got like you know a little bit further into my archery career and I realized this guy stinks at archery I'm not gonna listen to him about mental game choose your coaches wisely right yeah well I, I think that's an interesting point you make you know, talking to Jay Bars, um, I think that I saw there a balance, right, of uh, your point of view, which is that a lot of that stuff comes from your internal makeup, and uh, his point of view, which was if you combine that with some focused application. That's probably what, that's probably the best scenario, you know, and I'm sure someone like Casey's getting those focused applications, and I'm sure I have received them too, either subconsciously or you know, through other means. I don't know. I just never, I never uh, went and but the specifically Steve, trained that. The Steve part. Anderson philosophy, and by the way, I think what we really ought to do is dedicate a podcast to that aspect of things. I think you could probably talk about that for a half hour or more. But I, I think that, you know, having known you for a long time now, I, I think it, it comes from a self-confidence that not everybody has. And and uh, using experience, you know, right. and experience that a lot of people Here, don't have. Here's the issue with with that: you don't get to go experience the Olympics every year, right? I can go to Vegas and and experience it to where now it's not as big of a deal. 
Um, but you can't do that with the Olympic Games. Right. right? So that's right. a harder thing. And to, everyone is different. Right. And then and you are getting there and you are in a world you've never been in in terms of archery. Because now you're shooting like the 132nd match against whoever. And it feels like a finals field. Right. Because they stick you out on the thing. And yeah. Then it's yeah. it's a single arrow, you know, alternating shot. And it's a. It's a different world. But so. to borrow uh, a phrase that's usually associated with a friend of ours from Italy, I'm going to say something a little heretical and point out the fact, and it is a fact, that at the Olympic Games, you're, you're not competing with all of the very best archers in the world. You're competing with the very best each country has sent, and that's a very different proposition. Yeah. And I think if more Olympians approached it that way, understood that, you know, my, my 64th or 32nd, excuse me, match is going to probably be against somebody that I'm a lot better than. <laughs> yeah. If you're one of the, if the you're, top shooters, if you're yeah. one of the top 20 at, the, at yeah. those games. And as a result, your odds are much better if you, yeah. if you don't let the situation that you just described freak you out. Mm -hmm. The trouble is it's the freaking Olympics. It's going to freak you out because a lot yeah. of people have spent years of their lives getting ready for this thing, putting it on a pedestal, to borrow your phrase. Yeah. And I think that that can be an issue. Now, that's not to say they shouldn't appreciate and respect the fact that they're on an Olympic field of play at the time they're doing it. But I do think that approaching it as another tournament is probably wiser just, yeah. but you know, I don't know if the subconscious allows for that. For I don't everybody. think you, I don't think you could really do that. You can't take it off the pedestal and put it in the mud. Right. I know I'm not suggesting that they do. <laughs> I am suggesting, however, that a little application of what you've brought up might be better for some people. Yeah. And anyway. it's, uh, you know, I think the mental game thing, we have some weird reverberations there. I think it's from the, like the, the building. I, I think there's something going on. You can, it sounded like an alpenhorn. Yeah. You know? Here. There it is. That noise, I have no idea where it's coming from. It's from the building. No, it's outside. They're doing something on the road. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're doing something outside. I hope it doesn't pick up through the mics. Oh, it is. I guarantee yeah. it. Yeah. It sounds like an Alpenhorn or something. <laughs> going back think, to it, um, yeah. you know, one of the things that maybe, maybe part of my metal game is that it may be why something like... How do I how do I say this? Maybe I'm not receptive to mental game techniques because I'm not good at communicating like what is really happening to me in a pressure situation. You know the way that you evaluated. Yeah, it. maybe I don't know what's going on. Maybe you don't care fully. Maybe right? you don't. Maybe care. that's it. I don't know. That could be healthier. I mean, from the standpoint of allowing you to do what you've got to do when you've got to do it. Yeah. Speaking I, of, go I ahead. could tell you this: the the most pressure situations I feel in the sport are usually not in the finals. It's not in like a shoot off or in the final. It's it's getting there, right? For me, it's usually first couple ends at Vegas and the last couple ends at Vegas. Yeah, it, you know, if I, you're if you're clean. The finals events that I've been in, I have been happy to be there. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm pumped, right? I I'm not nervous because I've already gotten to where I wanted to be and all I have to do is shoot my arrows at that point the the part getting there the individual passes or yeah. you know earlier when you had to shoot a score to get there that was more nervous for me but once I made it on a finals field man I was I was just happy to be there yeah, what an opportunity absolutely in front of me absolutely the uh the Dean Miles thing Dean Miles is our 
corporate coach right at the Easton uh, companies and you know he said and he's talked with Brady a lot about this stuff too you know he, Dean is like a he's a pretty fascinating guy I'm not going to say what he used to do in a prior career but he could have a TV show about him probably yeah that's probably true um let's just say he was in high level federal stuff yes government dealings federal stuff (laughs) let's just say life and death situations and leave it at that so anyhow he uh he said he was talking with brady one time he he told he told this to me he said this is what i want you to think and i i did i didn't have to take this and apply it but it helped me realize what i was actually dealing with in these situations he said you know what don't ever be and I've said this on the podcast, but people probably haven't heard it. He said, don't ever be nervous about a big moment. Be excited about a big moment. And you tell yourself, hey, I'm excited. Now you've just turned those butterflies that are in your stomach, that are going to be in your stomach no matter what. You've turned them into a positive thing rather than a negative thing. Right? Right. So that's very important. Um... It's little things like that that I think make the biggest difference mentally. Is just how your your approach to it. And there's some people who they they get they get worried about something or a little something comes up and they just let it become a huge factor when really they should just brush it aside. It's not life and death. Happens to the best of us though. As opposed to say that guy Kyle Burgess a couple of weeks ago. He's walking along a mountain trail and a mountain lion stalks him for six minutes while he's retreating backwards. Oh, wait. We already talked about this in a podcast that will air later. Yeah. But I'm, <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull that out of that oh, podcast. Okay. Because we're going to talk about it now. This is an interesting week because it's Friday. We did a podcast on Tuesday that will not go out for a couple of weeks. So this podcast will drop long before that one. Correct. And we talked about this cougar. But yeah. you're not going to know it because we're just talking about it now. That's right. Yes. So you're, you're getting the early preview of the Cougar yeah. story. So this guy, and you may ask yourself, well, what does that have to do with what you've been talking about? Well, I think it has a bit to do with it. This guy was a few miles into a run in a canyon here in Utah, not far from here, in fact, and he spotted some uh, kittens near the trail. So he stopped to take a video because he thought maybe he was seeing some bobcats, but then he found out he was wrong. He found himself turning on his camera just as an adult mountain lion emerged and the mountain lion was not happy as he said i took three or four steps and i saw mama cougar (laughs) so he starts backing up and he's running backwards and there's video of this you can find the video it's everywhere on youtube now and for six minutes he's recording this cougar that is charging him. It's, it's pursuing him the whole time. Obviously, it's trying to protect its young, I, I suppose. Or it was hungry or both. And it is just pursuing him for six minutes as he's basically running backwards up the trail because he, you know, he did the right thing, right? He kept his mental game together. Right. He recorded it the he whole did. time. He recorded it the whole time, but he kept an eye on the cougar the whole time. Yeah, important. He didn't turn his back and run. Kept no, his, she would have mauled him. Kept his cool. I personally would have used the Mike Pastilli approach on this one. The heckler and coke? Yes, but that's a separate issue. <laughs> I could have fought that cougar. It wasn't that big. A big cat versus a big, big cat? 
Yeah, that cougar was probably, I don't know, 80 pounds. 80 pounds of muscle and sinew and claws and teeth. That I could have fought. Of course. You could have just held it off at arm's length and beaten it with your other hand. No, but I think uh, I think I could have fought it. I, like, I mean, I've been in the mountains around bears and stuff. I would fight most any black bear. Oh, yeah. And I'd be, I think I'd come out. Well, actually, you they know. They would tear me up, but I would win the fight. So, supposedly, there is video of the time that you encountered a grizzly, uh, but maybe we shouldn't tell this story. Maybe we'll save it for another time. Big Cat versus Grizzly. I'm not familiar with this. Well, okay. I would, I would, <laughs> I would disavow it, too. All right. <laughs> I'm really not familiar with this. <laughs> we might have to pause so you can fill me in on what I forgot about. That's all good. You know, this guy, this guy was great, right? He's being chased by this cougar. Then he goes, he called the cougar dude a few times, right? Yeah. He said, go and get your babies. And then, I'm big and scary, he said to the cougar. Then he roared at it a few times, right? Then he tried flattery. He said, you're a good little kitty cat. <laughs> Uh, but the uh, cougar didn't care. The cougar was just full on teeth and ears pinned back and scary, you know. And all I'm thinking is every time I've been, you know, dealing with a little bit of adrenaline yeah, uh, on a, while shooting an arrow, nothing like what that guy probably was dealing with. No. And you know what's really interesting? I wonder how he slept that night. Probably really slept, well. That's what I'm thinking. Because every time I've been in a high adrenaline Big adrenaline dump, off, and then you're, you're tired. tired. You want to take a nap. Tired. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm trying to think of, like, a specific thing. Well, just imagine how that guy was probably shaking when he, Oh, goodness. You know? Absolutely. Sure. I, I had a very near miss a couple of weeks ago on my motorcycle and for the first time in 10 years uh, afterward didn't happen didn't get scared while it was happening because I was dealing with it right? right I had a car basically pull out right in front of me I was going about 40 miles an hour the car shot a gap with two lanes of traffic he was coming perpendicular to the traffic Oy. so he shot right out in front of me I probably had about 20 meters uh-huh. I you know ABS is worth every oh, yeah. everything Analog brake system, uh -huh. familiar. His eyes got the size of baseballs. I mean, it was comical. And, you know, when stuff like that happens, time slows down uh, for you. You know, it's that psychotachia, you know, reaction. And yeah. I remember everything very clearly. But I also remember that for the first time, maybe 30 seconds after it happened, I was struck by just how close yeah. that was. And... You know, I continued on my ride and I did my thing. But when I got home, I, I took a nap. <laughs> you know, what's interesting is you probably, sometimes you have a situation like that and you can see, you're like, this is going to happen. And then sure enough, it yeah. happens. Yeah. And that's what you talk about, like the time slowing down, yeah. I think. And then you look back on it and you're like, oh, wow, that happened fast. And that's a little bit how like a, a lot of finals matches are. Right. Before you know it, it's over. They're done so quickly. You're like, man, oh, man. And then you realize it was like 15, 20 minutes. Right. You know, it felt like I was up there for like three minutes. Right. Maybe, you know. Right. So, you know, I, yeah. I, I think you're right because I've, you know, I've talked to guys like Takahara Furukawa and Ojin Hyuk for that matter. And both of them were like, I don't remember what just happened, but it was great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, it was a, uh, that is a moment when you're really living. And I think that there is something to be said for, for getting there. And I think that's one reason why we get nervous in the qualification rounds, because we really want to be there. Yeah, you want to you get there. Yeah, you want to get to the final show. So, um, 
All right, on to other things, because we've got a few things to discuss uh, besides Lancaster and, and Casey and the mental game. Um, Peter Elzinga is going to be taking over as the Netherlands coach. Did you see that? For the recurve, right? That was my understanding is going to be yeah. – um, it, it just says Dutch archery team coaching staff. I heard he's going to be doing some so, of the recurve stuff. Yeah, well, and he – you know, I'm sure he can do it. So I don't know what the plan is – like – you know, Ron Vanderhoff is the current head coach. So yeah. I don't know if Peter's yeah. an assistant. Or well, he's, he's taking a, over for Emil Kusters, who's the outgoing assistant. So okay. he's going to take on a, an assistant job, as far as I can tell. And I think, you know, he's, he's going to deal with uh, people at, at a very high level. And he's, of course, a high-level man himself. He's currently the 15th top-ranked guy in the world. And he said he is going to continue to shoot. So, you know, it's not going to be the end of his archery career. Um, but he, as you pointed out, he's going to be working under Ron Vanderhoff uh, on the recurve side as well, I'm sure, uh, on the compound side. Alziga is, of course, replacing a guy who won multiple international medals for the Netherlands as a compound shooter. Uh, you know, so Mr. Coosters will now be working for the National Olympic Committee. So that's a, that's a nice, uh, nice thing. He'll be developing athlete management systems. And uh, both of them will be making their transitions by the end of the year. So congratulations to both Peter and to uh, Emil. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Very cool. Nice to have, nice to have archers in higher places, like the National Olympic Committee of the Netherlands, like um, at the IOC. We have a few friends who who have gone on to the IOC and uh, come from archery. So I think that's a very good thing for our sport. You know, the Dutch are often, uh, they, they're forward thinking too. So maybe they're looking at this like, hey, compound's probably going to have some expansion and, and yeah. maybe greater importance going forward. So let's get Peter involved. Yeah. But I, I also think with Emil in there, you know, having been there for the last few years, they, it, it's continuity, right? Because now you're replacing a compound guy with a compound guy. And I think that that shows how important compound is in their yeah. big scheme of things. And of course, the Netherlands, um, you know, they've been very significant in our sport on both the recurve and compound side. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so very good stuff with the, uh, with the games coming up. Uh, did you see all the uh, – you probably didn't, but there's a ton of media coverage in the last few days of the former prime minister of Japan, Shinzo Abe, on the front page of every sports newspaper in that country, and it, it, you know, it caught WA's attention. Uh, he's promoting archery in a big way, which I thought was very interesting. He a big archer himself? Well, he was in university, right? Ah. So he's uh, he's all about archery. I actually met him at Japanese Nationals about 10 years ago. Was he the PM at the time? He was. Um, he had two terms. He had a short first term, and then he had the longest term in modern history of any Japanese prime minister. So, uh, you know, after he stepped down in, I think, 2008 or so, um, and then, you know, came back again. But um, very much an archery enthusiast. So that's a very positive thing for both the sport overall and the fact that, you know, he's going to have a role in the Olympic games next year. Dope. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff. Pretty dope stuff. And as we speak right now, all my sources tell me that things are continuing to move along in the Olympic games. Um, there was a Twitter post yesterday by some prominent guy in Tokyo who said games have been canceled, but apparently that's been debunked. <laughs> fake, uh, fake news is international baby. So yeah, you know, hopefully that, uh, Situation will continue to improve. They are testing a whole bunch of new technologies and new ways to keep people separated, but they're still they're still talking about having spectators at all the events. So, well, you know, by the next Olympics, they, according to what I read yesterday, they expect to have vaccine fully distributed by then. 
let's hope for the best. As we, uh, as we look at the um, other movement in, in what's happening in world archery, you know Pascal Colmer has retired. And yes. um, Pascal was the coach of Canada for many years. He coached France for many years. And then for the last 20 years, he's been world archery development and education director. He's a great guy and um, a very well-respected coach, probably one of the warmest human beings you'll ever meet in our sport. And he has officially retired, but he's still doing work for WA. Um, you know, things like uh, helping to uh, provide for coaching seminars and things of that nature. Because a guy like that, he's tough to replace. You know, he's got so much experience. Um, you know, for 20 years, he's just been doing everything he can to, uh, to promote the sport in places like Africa and, a, you know, the Middle East and uh, working hard to create uh, archery clubs that can lead to countries that don't have archers at, at the WA level mm-hmm. be able to create their own federations and join WA. So, you know, some of these countries... I was talking to um, a friend of mine who's a coordinator for archery in Africa for WA. And do you know how long it takes to get a permit for a bow in Algeria? I don't want to know. I don't it, think. It's a two-year process, and you have to tell them what the bow yeah, is, Ugh. like a serial number. And then to get another one, two years? Unbelievable. That's where you need governmental change. And this is a guy who's got firearms permits in that same country, which also took years to get. But to get a bow in Algeria, you have to go through this incredible process. And only a few people have bothered to do it. So how do you, how do you have an archery club if it takes you two years to go through a bunch of paperwork to buy a bow? So, you know, some of the things Pascal worked on were to try to fix that kind of a situation, um, which is a difficult thing. But uh, hopefully, you know, as, as things continue forward, I, I'm confident that uh, WA will have somebody uh, of his caliber to take over the educational side of things, the development side of things for WA. But uh, Pascal is a unique guy and a, a great asset to our sport. So we wish him the very best in retirement. Yeah, that's, uh, hmm. yeah, you need, you need a lot of help with these. Uh, it's a countries like process. that with, you know, and you hear about stuff in Latin America where they have like a 300% tax on sporting goods. Equipment. Yeah. Brazil, for example, like, right, man, it is crazy. Talk about squelching. For, for one economic activity but two you know people's abilities to uh broaden their horizons yeah because that's one thing that our sport has really done for a lot of people look at look at somebody like a deepika kumari you know or or um any number of shooters who come from countries where you know quite frankly the economic prospects for somebody can be very difficult mm-hmm. but our sport has made it possible for them to elevate their lives in a big way and, and become worldwide celebrities in the case of somebody like Deepika. Yeah. And I think that um, more opportunity rather than less is a good thing. And the work that guys like Pascal and Tom Dillon are doing to try to open up those countries that, that have that kind of a uh, overly enthusiastic bureaucracy when it comes to <laughs> buying stuff you know, for, for archery, um, I think that that's very important work. You know, yeah, that's crazy. Do you see the uh, calendar has been issued for the 2021 Indoor Archery World Series now? I have not looked at the calendar. So it's going virtual. At least half is going virtual, just like a lot of other events, like the event that took place in Japan last weekend that had well over a thousand people participating from something like 60 countries. 
And so archers worldwide will now be able to participate in an open online competition over one weekend every month from November to February of 2021. So um, the stages will be online. The first stage will be uh, November 21st and 22nd. And that means for the first time in a long time, you're, you're well, I, I guess you uh, find yourself in a position to have to go to like kings of archery every year, right? That's usually somewhere around the Thanksgiving holiday? Yeah, I think it's usually right before. So this time you're, you're not going to have to do that. You're going to be able to do this online. I'm not going to get to do that. You're not going to get to do this online? Get to, I'm not going to get to go to kings of archery. Right, yeah, I, I know. I look forward to it. But hopefully the following <laughs> year. And um, stage two is nineteen twenty of November, or excuse me, of December. So the first stage, 21st and 22nd. Second stage, uh, just under a month later. Third stage will be 16, 17 January at Neem. Mm-hmm. And right now, as we speak, Neem is still on. Uh, fourth stage is scheduled for Vegas. And as I spoke to Bruce Cull three days ago, Vegas is still on, although, you know, there's still a lot of stuff up in the air. Oh, yeah. Um, and finals will only be for teams, and that takes place the last weekend of February. So uh, there will be teams, uh, open teams, that, that uh, are going to be able to come in and, and compete for money, which is an interesting thing. The way they're doing this is like a lot of these other virtual tournaments, but you're going to need witnesses for your scorecard and a photo of your target. So um, I think that that's good because it'll help keep the integrity of the scores and uh, <laughs> provide for at least something there. Yeah, some of these online uh, events have had some very interesting stuff. Well, you know, it's like the it's like the Vegas. Sorry, not Vegas. It's like the Facebook. Vegas targets that you see from people, right? Uh, yeah. They're showing you targets and, you know, and then they show up at Vegas and they shoot 30 points lower. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it Every year there's somebody, and sometimes it's like a prominent guy too. Can be. 30X after 30X, and then they get to Lancaster and shoot a 290. Well, that's because, you know, Plus Rob, like Rob's up there with a microphone getting in their face and Not in <laughs> qualification. <them> <laughs> Not in qualification. True enough. Absolutely true. No excuses there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, teams don't have to shoot at the same location, but every archer does have to shoot their score at an official tournament to be counted. So the four highest-ranking teams at the end of the series will be able to compete, and um, that event will also be remote, uh, and it'll have what World Archery calls, quote, a new and exciting set of rules. So we'll wait to see what those rules are. It'll be interesting. I am excited. Well, hey, you know what? I'm excited that Rob is stepping up and making the uh, making the event happen. Oh yeah. You know, we did. Uh, I didn't play it on the podcast, but we also talked about ATA show a little bit. As you know, Rob is a, a high level board member of the ATA board, and he was in favor of having the ATA show. And I probably should back up and mention ATA show has been canceled for 2021, um, and that was a recent decision. It was just a few days ago. And I could hear the celebration in my house all the way from where you were because <laughs> I knew you were relieved not to have to do that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You know, um, everybody is excited. This is interesting. I don't want to say anything I shouldn't. I don't want to say anything I shouldn't and offend somebody or whatever. But uh, there's opportunity in not going to the ATA show. Sure. Typically... Would I prefer, would I rather go to the ATA show and have the world be normal? Yes. I would go to the ATA show 10 times a year 
for the world to be normal. I would take that sacrifice and a sacrifice it would be. But with no ATA show, my month of December and the first two weeks of January have just been recovered to me. Because mm-hmm. normally all I'm doing is ATA show stuff, mm-hmm. prep, um, things that, that, you know, it's part of the business. Well, the amount of work that goes into it behind the scenes is just ridiculous. It's unbelievable. It is incredible. And I usually leave on a Sunday. Every day at the ATA, I'm, I'm getting up at, you know, 6.30, getting to the show at 7, 7.30. Usually we get back to the hotel at like 9.30, 10 at night because you've got after show meetings and dinners and crap with uh, dealers or distributors or whoever. Um, so it's like a, it's a long week, right? Sure. It's probably. But it's a, it's, it's a good 12 weeks of prep before that. And yeah, we, you know. we really start prepping after Thanksgiving. So end of, end of, uh, I mean, that's when we're like, that's when all we're doing. Oh, is high ATA. gear. Yeah. 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 Uh, so end of November until we leave the first week of January. So you get no, like you don't really enjoy Christmas. So that kind of sucks. And frequently you have to go directly from ATA show to Neem. Right. Usually I get home from ATA on Sunday, leave for Neem on Tuesday. Yeah. So I, I don't practice the week prior. Right. So anyhow, that gives us an opportunity to do a lot of things we've needed to do as a company for years and years that just get pushed by the wayside. You know, whether that be like educational videos or, you know, uh, updating website stuff and just, you know, articles, things that we should be doing. So now we're like trying to decide how do we not get caught up in just doing what we normally do? Like, let's take that let's take that month of December and like block it out and just force ourselves to do something different. Like, for example, celebrate the company's 99th anniversary coming up on January 1st. Right. Right. Things like that. Things like that. And I think that there's plenty of opportunities to do a lot more educational uh, material, video, things of that nature. Also show off new product stuff as it's being released and developed. And I think that there's going to be some great opportunities there, you know, with the spare time. That's right. Yeah. We just, we've recovered the opportunity to do things that we otherwise should have. Yeah. So, you know, everybody looks forward to ATA for sure. And I think that it's a great way not only to uh, get up to speed with what's happening in the industry, but catch up with friends that we all have in the industry throughout. But at the end of the day, um, it'll come back the following year stronger, hopefully. Yeah. And I think that we'll, uh, it'll be okay not to have it this year. Just kind of made no sense for them to uh, host an ATA where they would have had to have limited participation. Yeah, particularly in the location where it was originally planned to have the participation would be extremely limited uh, under the current rules that are in place. They said it would have been under 50% of normal. Right. At at that that point, point, you know, how many people want to do it, right? How many companies do want want to send? Because whether 50 people show up or 50,000 people show up, it costs you the same to get to the event, to put your staff in there, to do everything you've got to do. And at the end of the day, um, yeah, half an event that's half of what it normally would be is not beneficial to anybody, really. I really liked uh, some of the comments on the internet. People are like, "Oh, well, now these companies can cut their prices because they just save millions on the trade show." I'm like, millions? 
think we have millions to spend on anything. This is not the pharmaceutical industry. (laughs) Let alone a singular trade show. I I have a friend who works in the pharmaceutical industry, and they spent something like $7 million on a sales rep conference. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, they brought in Maroon 5 to play the entertainment, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. I I had a cousin who worked for EA, Electronic Arts. Yeah. And when they went to the the big convention in Vegas. um, CES? Three, something with a three in it. Okay. I don't know. They went to something. Probably some gaming convention. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And he was his he was a uh, in marketing. His job was, I think, to manage just the flooring. Right? Which is something when I'm doing ATA show, yes, I manage the flooring as well. I, and the lighting and the A V yeah. and the big screen and the product being put on the shelves right. and the shelves and the booth and yeah. the chairs for the booth and the water for the chairs for the booth and the the, the smokehouse or whatever crazy, crazy thing, thing your CEO wanted. comes up yeah. with. Yeah. <laughs> so he told me, he's like, yeah, I do the flooring. I had a $3 million budget for that or a million bucks, something crazy. So he brought in like a, like a pressure or pressure sensitive floor where it'd like show where people, you know, kind of ghost their uh, footprints and things like that. Interactive type floors. I rented carpet. Yeah. And it cost a lot. But the interactive floor was probably a hundred grand. It was a million bucks. Oh, a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I was off a bit. A million dollars. Mm-hmm. I hope they got to use it for something good besides, you know, one trade show. Who knows? Well, at any rate, the point I'm making and the point you were making is this is archery. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and archery companies do not spend millions of dollars no, I was, to uh, go to the ATA show. Last year, ATA, I, I was revolutionizing the company's ATA budget by sending some people home early. And, you know, it was a big deal that you got to pair people with each other. So you got to decide who can head home a day early, right? So instead of leaving Sunday morning, they're leaving Saturday morning. Yeah. So they're missing the last day of the show. Yeah. But by doing so, I could save a hotel night. Right. So right. I, I was, uh, that adds up. Yeah. I was working to save like $600 in hotel nights and, right. and then making sure that their flights wouldn't be more expensive to negate that savings. Yeah, Cause that happens all the time. Right. So that was the kind of money we were working with. Right. We're not like spending millions on. So yeah, for some guy to say, Oh, they'll save millions on the straight. Well, and, 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 and let's be, you know, let's be, uh, more specific. I think, you know, you're talking about a company, the only company Easton, that is still making products in the USA. You think they do that by wasting money? They can't, they can't. Cannot. Can't do it. So, you know, one way that Easton continues to be able to make its products in the USA, and and unlike every other archery company that sells arrows, have them made by either a third party or outside the country, they basically, uh, well, let's just say that Easton is a Scottish name. <laughs> Leave it at that. <laughs> I guess I don't know the joke unless you're like, is it like Scottish people Scottish know what I mean? Cheapskates or something? <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. You said it, not me. I didn't say anything. I was just wondering. I said Easton is a Scottish name. That's, all right. You know, all my Scottish friends know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I'll just leave no. it at that. Yeah. All right. So the um, the plans right now for for you to get ready for your next. What's your next thing that you're that you're focused on from a competition standpoint? I guess uh, like Lancaster Classic. Okay, because it <laughs> seems Neem. to be the only thing we get to do. You Lancaster Neem. and Neem. Yeah, and hopefully Vegas. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll have some some good local events as we always do. Sure. Yeah. We'll see what they decide to do with that. Who knows? Yeah, I think that um, 
at the end of the day, we are going to be more than happy to see the year 2020 flip to 2021 and be gone from the calendar and, and we'll get a fresh start hopefully as soon as possible in 2021 when it comes to our competitions. I'm hoping that. Let us hope. You know, though, I'm excited about, um, you, know, you mentioned, that Rob mentioned that the Lancaster will just be two across, not four to a bale. You know, we did that in uh, Yankton for the mega week. Yeah, I was going to bring that up next was, yeah. you know, we haven't covered that. You and I have just not been in the same place at the same time. And I think it, it deserves a discussion. You know, we had uh, Bruce on the show a couple of episodes ago, and um, it was very well done from everything I've heard. It was really good. So continue on with what you were saying, and specifically the example of the indoor, the way yeah. it was done. So, well, for those who don't know Mega Week, right? Mega Week was NFAA Field Nationals, Outdoor Target, Dakota Classic, which is indoors, and then NFA indoors in a modified round. And it was a lot of fun, actually. The, uh, the week went great. I don't think anybody, I've never, I haven't heard of a single person getting sick. Nope, I haven't heard of a single one, and neither is Bruce. And I haven't heard of any from any USA archery event. I haven't heard of anybody getting sick from any archery events. Right, and they're, you know, they're taking the precautions, and right. people are being sensible, and, you know. So we get to the end of Mega Week, and we shoot indoor nationals in one day but instead of shooting two five spot rounds at 120 arrows we shot a five spot round and then we shot a vegas round and all those who were clean went to the shoot off right but we shot two across and in the five spot round if you've shot nfaa indoor nationals you know that the five spot round can take between four and a half to six hours it's, yeah, it's a slow process terrible yeah. it's the worst game in archery i hate it I would like it to be altered or abolished, and I've made that very clear, and most people dislike it. The reason they shoot the five-spot round is because a lot of people do like it. A lot of club-level <laughs> people pro, do. Yeah, most pros dislike the round. Club-level people like it. They like it because they're shooting a 300, right? They're working their X count. 300 is basically Vegas yellow. If you shoot Vegas yellow the whole time, you're good. Then your X, there's 60X as possible. That's your Vegas 10 ring um, or recurve. Big Ten World Archery. So club level people enjoy it. Um, it's big in like the Midwest, you know, the East. Canada. Not so, Canada not so likes much it. out here. Yeah, we don't really shoot it. Yeah, you don't see it much in the West yeah. compared to what I used to see back East and uh, in Canada. I mean, it's a, yeah. a completely different. Of course, that was a long time ago. Things, tastes change, but I'm pretty sure it's still probably the same. So anyhow... That round takes forever. It's a marathon. It stinks. And shooting it in, at Mega Week, shooting two across, it took an hour and 45 minutes. It was awesome. The Vegas round took 40 minutes. It was so great. I loved every minute of it. We took a break after four ends and eight ends, right, of a five-spot round. We took five minutes. And maybe that turned into like seven minutes. So people could use the restroom or whatever since there was just – get on the line and go, right? You're not, you don't have, okay, I shot my arrows. I'm going to run to the bathroom while you guys shoot yours or whatever. And then the, the Vegas round, I think we took a five minute break like halfway through. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And for a round like Lancaster, which is 20 ends, right, of qualification, it's going to be very interesting. And I think you might see people just enjoy 
the round more when it's people like to do stuff, but they don't like to do stuff for a long time. Right. I like to play golf, but I don't like to play a six hour round. So you're probably going to find people go, you know what? I really enjoyed Lancaster where, you know, we shot 20 ends. It took two and a half hours as opposed to five. And yeah, I was shooting a little more frequently. Maybe I didn't get total muscle recovery. You need to be in better shooting shape. That's yeah. I was about to bring that up. Absolutely. That's a fact. Um, but I think people will like that. You'll see that some of this indoor, uh, COVID indoor rules might stick in certain events. And I would love for Bruce to do that at NFA indoor. Well, Bruce, so we're going to run five lines instead of three, and we're going to go two across the whole way. That's more work for the staff, and it's more work on some other levels. But at the same time, I, I think the one thing that made it really smooth and, and able to be done, Yankton um, being the world's largest archery center, the Easton Foundation's archery center at Yankton is the world's largest dedicated center, uh, that made it easier because he had space left over. Um, not really. Well, when you count for that particular event, I, the other stuff going on around it used up some space. But I, my understanding from Bruce was that he actually had more space available. I guess, I mean, yeah, we counting the other shot. rooms. No, they were shooting Dakota Classic Amateur gotcha, in the other room. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So they utilized the space as good as you could have asked. Okay. I think they had like 800 people there. Wow. Competing, yeah. right? Yeah. And a lot of no, you're right. That's that was the number from Bruce. Yeah, yeah. So it was. Uh, he he scheduled it well. He planned it well. Everything, and then they also, you know, that morning we did USA Indoor Final. So that particular day, I shot 255 arrows. My fingers hurt. I wanted, to, and that was after a week of like 150, 200 arrow days. Yeah. Some of you recurve types might be like, Steve, you wimp. But guess what? Steve, you I don't win. shoot a lot of arrows. Well, and the other thing is, you know, you weren't actually pulling the string. You were holding on to a big, comfortable release. But I know, I, I get it. I totally get it. it. And you're breaking 60. Up. You're still breaking 60 pounds. And I've seen some shooters' hands after shooting a lot. And I'm just kidding. It was, uh, I didn't well, mean it. it was a six-month layoff that kind of, you know, well, just that not doing anything. And I specifically was like, I'm not shooting. Because I'm going to be honest with you. I thought, like, I thought the way the, way the news made this sound – when things got off to the start of this pandemic lockdown, it's like, well, there goes professional archery. Like, I, I felt very fortunate we were back competing. Absolutely. I was happy for it. And you know what? It's probably what I needed because I was getting a little down on archery, a little burnout. But now it's like, man, it's a, I know what I had. Yeah. I appreciate it more. Yeah. That's important, you know? But yeah, that last day, 255 arrows, we ended up in the shoot off, right? And I made the shoot off. And got pretty far, got pretty far, ended up in, it was Stefan and I shooting off for third at the end of it. Yeah. And uh, I was, I said, dude, you're going to beat me off attrition. Like I'm tired. I'm actually tired. My fingers hurt. My shoulders hurt. My arms hurt. I'm tired of shooting a bow. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, sure enough, he shot five real quick inside out, you know, and I shot four and I was just, I couldn't, I could just couldn't do the last one. I got too tired, I guess. Well, let's miss the last one. Let's be fair and point out that you'd shot a whole bunch of other events that same week. It was the week. Yeah. It was the entirety of the week, not just the one day. I mean, like the first day we're getting after it with a field round. Field round is an exhausting round. Yeah, it can be. 112 arrows. It can take a long time. Sure. Wind and Yankton. So you're letting down a lot. Um, yeah. For a guy who normally shoots like 66 arrows a day in the heat of the season to go and pump 150 plus every day. I was pretty tired. So knowing what you know now, preparing for Lancaster. Wouldn't, oh, preparing for Lancaster. 
Well, I'll be shooting more in indoor. You'll season. step it up some. Yeah. Well, because, you'll have a chance to since you're not going to be going, you know, 19 hours a day trying to get ready for ATA. Well, I also won't like be planting a yard and building a fence and all the other crap I did. No, you won't be able to. You're going to be under under three feet of snow. By yeah, then. I'm going to be under <laughs> snow and I have an indoor range in my basement. So yeah, yeah I'll shoot indoor. Perfect. And, and now I'm like, I shot pretty well there, right? Yeah, so yeah. I'm like, I'm a little motivated. People need to see the shirt you're wearing. It says Anderson Archery. Is that from the old distributor, Anderson Archery, or is that no. something new? This is uh, Linda, uh, Dean Alberga designed this shirt. How cool is that? Yeah, Linda and I. So we get these like out it. at uh, Linda's seminars. Well, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna put a, a picture of you wearing that shirt up on our uh, Easton Facebook yeah. page. You come to our seminar, and you get a shirt. How cool is that? I like it. It kind of, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like the um, the 12th Ranger Division or something. You know, it's it's a little bit like the um, like a military looking at the same time. It kind of it's, is, huh? But it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's Dean, very cool. Dean did a good job. Dean Alberga. I didn't realize he did stuff like that. Yeah. That's terrific. He told me he did it in Microsoft Paint. Well. I'm, I'm just kidding. I don't know what he did. No, because it's not a Comic Sans. <laughs> he didn't thankfully use Comic Sans for the uh, font for the... Yeah. Anderson Archery. I like it. I like it. It's very cool. Yep. So I'm pumped with it. Yeah. Very nice. I had him print them too. I hope Linda paid him for him. I, yeah. I think she was supposed to. I'll have to ask Dean. You'll have to follow up. <laughs> yeah. There's another guy who's uh, who we miss seeing at all the events is Dean Alberga and his camera. And, yeah. Uh, hopefully next year we'll we'll get to see old Dino again. Yeah. I mean, it's funny how we all have to like reconnect. You know. I think when when this I'm going to say, you know, when this gets back to we're all shooting and we're not, you know, we can high five and hug and. I mean, we'll appreciate it a little more. Oh, maybe. man. Yeah. This is, we might have a different world. And the party, the first party is going to be just ridiculous. In, <laughs> in a positive way, no doubt. You know, the other thing that uh, the, the, the current times have created, I just did a seminar for this World Archery Coaches Conference. I did a recurve seminar. Next month, I'm doing another uh, a compound seminar on the same subject and the crazy thing about it was it's actually more complicated to try to do an online seminar than it is to get on an airplane and fly to Switzerland and land and get picked up and go to the World Archery Center and do the same seminar. I swear it is actually more complicated. You know, it doesn't take as long as time because of flight, but other than that, it's actually more complicated and more work. In every way I'd rather fly to Switzerland. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I saw that uh, the World Archery Center in Switzerland is doing a um, invitational tournament in December. I want to see if I can get myself an invitation, <laughs> but I doubt they're going to let us in by that point. Yeah. We'll see. Switzerland in December, Lausanne probably be pretty nice. It actually is. Yeah. I, I was there a couple of years ago for the dedication of the Archery Center. Uh, That's right. You know, and it was around the same time of year, and it was great. It that was, was when they shot the indoor, right? And yeah. um, Kuban Chan five ninety eight. Yeah. 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 Um, actually, I think it was 99. 99, 99. that's right, 599. And it probably would have been a 600. but They just, turned the lights off. Well, they didn't. The server reset itself at exactly 12 noon. Just as Kuban Chan was pulling through his clicker, the lights went out. How dare they? So instead of letting it down, he shot it, and it was a 9, his oh. only 9. Otherwise, uh, he would have uh, tied the world record that had been set just a few days earlier by Brady. Yeah. So there you go. Anyway. uh, Yeah. So we're all looking forward to a time when we can all get it back out again and see everybody and do everything that we 
took for granted, quite frankly. I did take everything and everybody for granted. Yeah, well, you're not alone, right? <laughs> I have a feeling a number of our listeners are going, yeah, yeah, you know, because I know I am and I know you are, and that's the way it goes. So let's uh, let's enjoy what we got when we got it and, and make the best of things as we continue to work our way through this thing. Join those virtual tournaments when you see them pop up on your social media. Get out there and participate in the sport. And when things get back closer to what we remember being normal, we will appreciate what we've been doing more. I have no doubt. No doubt. Do we have anything else to talk about today? Probably, but I think that this is a good length for the podcast. Um, And I want to just thank you for taking the time to stop by and getting back together with the listeners. Yeah, it's always fun. Always fun. Let's... uh... Let's quit for now.